You're listening to the Good News in a Dark World podcast. Join us as we study God's Word and discover Jesus on every page. Here's Pastor Kevin. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 18. If you are uh, visiting this morning, we are currently in a series through the book of Revelation. We've come to close to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 18. We'll be reading the entire chapter. And as the uh, heading of your Bible may say, at least my heading says this, this is about the fall of Babylon. And we're going to look at what Babylon is exactly and the reaction to the fall of Babylon. So Revelation chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wool, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, what city was like the great city? 
And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. And of all who have been slain on earth. Children, there is a uh, certain game that you might find at arcades occasionally. It's called Whack-A-Mole. Some of you have played Whack-A-Mole before. Whack-A-Mole is this game where you have a kind of a toy plastic hammer. And in front of you is this board with all of these holes in it. And moles keep popping out of those holes. And you have to take your little hammer and whack them. And when you whack one mole, another mole pops up, and you whack that mole, and another mole pops up, and the game keeps going on and on and on with all of these moles continually popping up. There is a sense in which this world is like whack-a-mole. Up pops this group or this issue that is opposed to Christianity. Eventually it, it seems to go away, perhaps, but then someone or something else pops up. And all throughout history, all of these different groups, all of these different movements, all of these different governments that have opposed the people of God and have opposed the truth of God have just kept popping up. And it can get very discouraging. It, it seems like it's never going to end, that things will never be any better. The book of Revelation, though, is given us to remind us that, that one day this fallen world will be judged. One day this present evil age will pass away and be no more. No longer will the great prostitute seek to lead us away from devotion to Christ. No longer will God's truth be mocked. No longer will God's people be harassed and persecuted. One day all of that will end. As we come to chapter 18 this morning, we, we find the reaction to that day. The reaction to when all of the things that have risen up against God's truth and all of the things that have tried to, to lure us away from devotion to Christ, all of these things will be gone. And this chapter, in a sense, forces each one of us to ask the question, how will I react on that day? What will be my reaction when this present evil age is no more? Will I be sad or will I rejoice? 
We see here in chapter 18 that there are two reactions. First of all, there is the reaction in heaven. And, and I pray that this truly is your reaction. And then there is the reaction of those who are on the earth. So the reaction in heaven and the reaction on earth. John sees at this point an angel coming down from heaven. And, and the angel is calling out with a loud voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. As we've seen in Revelation, Babylon is a symbol of this evil world system. Babylon is a symbol of, of a world that, that hates God and, and seeks to destroy the people of God. The angel cries out, fallen is Babylon the great. Now stop there for just a moment. It's hard to imagine this, isn't it? From, a, from an earthly perspective, this world seems so powerful. From an earthly perspective, this world seems so invincible. And in fact, one commentator says that this fall of Babylon, he says this is an event which is stupefying in its magnitude. Because we may, we may look at this world and we may think to ourselves, you know, who am I? And, and what is the church? To, to really be able to stand up against this evil machine that is our world today. But this world's demise is so certain, it is so sure to happen, that you notice the angel speaks in the past tense, as if it's already happened. The angel doesn't say, Babylon is going to fall one day. He doesn't say, Babylon will fall in the future. He says, Babylon is fallen. That's how sure this is to happen. And, and notice how the angel describes Babylon after its fall in verse 2. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. You know, right now this world looks so alluring. It looks so attractive. This world promises you riches and, and beauty and popularity and pleasure if only you will follow the great prostitute. If you will only buy into the, the thinking and the living and the priorities of this world, the great prostitute says to you, riches and popularity and fame and pleasure will be yours. And, and children and young people that is what this world is going to try to lure you with. Children, as you grow up, this world will say to you, you don't need the church. You, you, don't, you don't need the faith of your parents. You don't need some old-fashioned, out-of-date religion. That's not going to make you happy. That's, gonna not make, that's not going to make you feel fulfilled. You don't need that. You need to follow us. We will give you pleasure. But children, it's important even from a young age to understand that that's not true. This world will not deliver on what it promises. This world isn't what it looks like. Have you ever driven down the road before on a hot day, and I'm sure you can do this today, 
And, and as you're driving down the road, up ahead in the distance, it looks like there's a pool of water on the road. And, and you're driving down the street, you're driving down the road, and it looks like up ahead of you there's a pool of water on the road. But the closer you get, the water's gone, just disappears. Now there's a scientific explanation for this, which I'm not smart enough to explain to you what it is, but it's called an inferior mirage. It, it looks like water, but it's not really water. That's, that's what this world is like. That's what the things of this world is like. The, the world promises us so much. The world promises us all this stuff, but it's not real. And, and when Christ returns and when Babylon is judged, this world, Revelation 18 says, this world will be shown to be what it really is, an evil place that, that only desires destruction. You'll notice it's pictured for us in a very graphic way. It's a, it's a dwelling place for demons. It's a haunt for unclean spirits and unclean birds and unclean beasts. And the sinfulness of this world is, is pictured for us, you notice, with three different classes of people. First of all, there's the nations. The angel says that the nations have, have drunk the wine of the passion of Babylon's sexual immorality. This world is drunk on pleasure. Then there are kings. The, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with Babylon. Then there are the merchants who have grown rich from the power of Babylon's luxurious living. What, what's being pictured here is the world's people's infatuation with this evil world system. You, you know, I don't really need to tell you this, but you know that our world is consumed with pleasure. Consumed with possessions, consumed with popularity, consumed with power, consumed with influence. People are, are living for the moment, they are living for the here and now with no concern about eternity. No concern about their eternal soul. And, and that's what we see happening in our world today, a, an absolute devotion Addiction, if you will, to pleasure in the things of this world. You remember how Paul describes sinful man in Romans chapter 1. He says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What happens when a culture does this? What happens when a society turns its back on God? What happens when people turn away from the one true God to the things of, of this earth? Paul tells us. In that same chapter, he, he tells us that God gives them up to the lusts of their hearts. He, he gives them up to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Paul tells us that God gives them up to dishonorable passions, namely homosexual practices. We see that very thing in our culture today. 
And Paul tells us that God gives them up ultimately to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. We see in our culture today the fulfillment of Romans 1. God is giving people up to the lust of their hearts. He's giving them up to dishonorable passions. He's giving them up to a debased mind to do the things that ought not to be done. The world looks so attractive. It really does. But in reality, it's not. It's a world that in many respects has been given over to sin. It's become drunk on sex and power and pleasure and stuff. And in the end, it is going to fall. In the end, it is going to be shown for the evil that it really is. That's heaven's declaration about this world. It, it's a mirage. It's fake. It's not going to last. Children, it's not going to deliver on what it promises to you. And ultimately, it's going to fall. Now, now because of this, because, because this is true, all of a sudden, another voice comes out of heaven. Notice what the voice says in verse 4. Come out of her, my people, lest you partake in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. What does that mean? There is a reference to the Old Testament, and it's really a reference in the Old Testament anyway, to Israel to being brought out of Babylon, out of Babylonian captivity. But there's an application for us this morning. There's an application to the Christian today. When, when, when John hears this voice and the voice says, come out of Babylon, it's a call this morning for us to do two things. Number one, it is a call to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A couple of weeks ago, I, I made a statement that um, being in a church no more makes you a Christian than being in a garage makes you a car. You can sit in church every Sunday, but not know Christ. You can be a member of a church. You can have been baptized in a church. You could have grown up in a Christian home and yet not know Christ. And, and so it is my duty and my obligation to say to you this morning that if there are any of you here who are sitting in this church right now or watching this online and you are not a believer in Christ, if you have not confessed your sin and embraced him as Lord and Savior, this chapter reminds you that one day you will be judged. One day you will be judged. Jesus will come back and he will not only judge Babylon, he will not only judge this present evil world system, he will judge you, unbeliever. He will judge all who do not embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at verse 5, you'll notice what it says about the sin of the unbelieving world. It says, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. You know, we, um, we tend to forget things, don't we? Where's my wallet? Where did I put my cell phone? I just locked my keys in my office this morning. We forget things. 
walk into a room and say, why am I here? We, we forget things. God doesn't forget anything. He doesn't forget anything. And for the person who does not believe in Jesus Christ, one day God will bring to mind all of your sins and you will be judged for those sins. Now in contrast to that, God says a wonderful thing about all who embrace Christ, all who trust him as Lord and Savior. He says in Isaiah 43 verse 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and listen, I will not remember your sins. Now it's not that God forgot about your sins, Christian, but it's that those sins have already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so when this angel comes and says, come out of Babylon, it's a call this morning to come to Christ, to believe in him, to embrace him, to flee from the wrath to come. And secondly, this is also a call to live in light of your identity as a Christian. Brothers and sisters, we don't belong in this present evil age. Now, yes, we are, we are in the world. We can't help that. This is where we live. But we are not of the world. And, and so while there may not be a, a physical separation between believers and the world, there is a spiritual separation. The world's priorities are not our priorities. The world's goal for their children is not our goal for our children. The world's loves are not our loves. The world's goals are not our goals. And, and therefore, we are not to live as those who are part of this world because we are not. That's the very point Paul makes in the book of Colossians. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why would we give our ultimate love and devotion to something that's not going to last? Why would we give our ultimate love to something that one day is going to be judged? Look down at verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. That's where this world is headed. That's where this world is headed. And so this is heaven's reaction to the fall of Babylon. It's a reaction of rejoicing. It's a, it's a reaction of calling us to live as the Christians that we are. Not devoted to this world, but devoted to the things of eternity. Well, then there's the reaction on earth. How will those who have devoted themselves to this world respond to the fall of Babylon? How will they react when it all goes up in smoke? If you have your Bible open, look at verse 9. The kings of the earth will weep and wail over her. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth also will weep and wail. Verse 15, the merchants stand far off, weeping and mourning aloud. 
Verse 17, the shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors cry out. They, they throw dust on their heads as they weep and they mourn. Now, children, did you know that there are times in the Bible when weeping and mourning and throwing dust on your head is a good thing? The Bible tells us that there are times when, when doing these kinds of things is a good thing. Children, you remember Jonah, right? Jonah was the guy who uh, disobeyed God's call to go to Nineveh. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah went the exact opposite direction. Didn't do it. And, and children, you know what happened to Jonah. He ends up in a great fish. Finally, he gets out of the fish. He's still reluctant. He still doesn't want to go. But he goes anyway. And, and he goes to Nineveh. He goes to this very, very wicked, very vile place. And, and he preaches the message that God told him to preach. He, he goes in there and he goes to the Ninevites and he says, look, if you don't repent, judgment's coming. And, and after his preaching, we read in Jonah chapter 3, verse 6, says this, the word reached the king of Nineveh. So the king of Nineveh hears about this message. And it then says he, he got up from his throne, took off his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat down in ashes. And he issued a proclamation to all the people of Nineveh. And he said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That was a good thing, wasn't it? It was a good thing that the king of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh wailed and wept and mourned over their sin. Jesus even says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Bible calls us to mourn and to weep over our sins calls us to, to recognize our sins, to recognize what our sin deserves, and, and to cry out to God for mercy. In fact, this is a mark of a Christian. If, if you don't weep over your sins, if you don't have sorrow over your sins, if you don't think about your sin and cry out for God to forgive you, that's a sign that you may not be a Christian. You may be deceiving yourself. Weeping and wailing and mourning and sorrow for sin is a good thing. And so maybe as we come to this part in Revelation 18, maybe that's what these kings are doing. Maybe that's what these merchants and sailors are doing. Well, it's not. They're not mourning over their sin. They're not weeping that their, their sin is an offense to the holy God. They're not weeping over the, the destruction and the devastation that their sin has caused. These people are weeping that Babylon is no more. All the things that they had lived for, all the money and the possessions and the power and the pleasure, all of those things are gone. And all they have now is this feeling of emptiness. Now this shouldn't surprise us because the Bible tells us very plainly that that's how the things of this world will ultimately leave us feeling. 
Did you know that there's a whole book of the Bible devoted to telling us this? It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And in that book, Solomon talks about all the things in life that he tried to find meaning in and purpose in. He talks about knowledge and laughter and pleasure and possessions, power. And do you remember what he says in Ecclesiastes? He spent all this time trying to find meaning and purpose and happiness in all of these things. At the very end of it, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's empty. It's empty. It's like cotton candy, isn't it? Cotton candy looks so good, it, it tastes good. But there's nothing there of any substance. That's what the things of this world are like. In the end, children, young people, all of us, all of these things will leave us feeling empty. And here in chapter 18, all of these people realize that what they have invested their lives in, what they have devoted themselves to, is all gone. And they weep. It's sad, isn't it? Our hearts should break for, for people who have made idols of the things of this world. Our hearts should break for people who hope to find ultimate meaning in these things. And the fact of the matter is that but for God's grace, I would be the same way. The same way. One day it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. And to drive home the, the finality of this. There's a particular phrase that we find repeated in this chapter. Look at verse 21. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. Verse 22. And the sound of the harpists and musicians, the flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. Verse 22. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. Verse 22. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. Verse 23. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. It's like singing a song with the same refrain. Over and over and over, six times, we see no more. You see the point? For the unbeliever, there will be no more blessings. There will be no more joy in the things of this life. Those things will be no more. Now, Christian, for you, there will be even greater joy. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Our joy will be even greater. If you know Christ, your joy will be even greater. The fall of Babylon is coming. Now, now brothers and sisters, this, this world may seem like a game of whack-a-mole. There's this constant battle where, where evil keeps rearing its ugly head over and over and over in our world. But it's not going to go on like this forever. One day, this evil world system will be no more. And until then, we have a calling. We have a calling to, to live our lives, not for the things of this life, but for the things of eternity. 
And, and we have the calling to, to warn those who are living for the things of this life that they're not going to last. Only true hope and meaning is found in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life so that we may live. The fall of Babylon is certain. It is sure to come. May we as God's people rejoice in this and may we also go out into this world to declare that, that there is a day of judgment coming and that people need to run to Christ and find their hope and their meaning and their purpose in him and in him alone. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you tell us in your word what is true. We thank you that you tell us what will happen one day. We rejoice, Lord, that you, by your grace, have caused us to see this truth. Lord, help us to live our lives in, in light of eternal things. And help us as well to tell others to run to Jesus and to find hope and meaning in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you've been blessed by this podcast and would like to support this ministry, you can find us at www.goodnewsinadarkworld.com. Thank you for listening.